Hello and welcome to episode 138 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. This week, Chris Christian and I are going to give you a quick on the counter episode recapping our regrettable loss to Nashville, but our glorious Shield celebration following. And of course, we're going to take a look at some playoff scenarios as all eyes are now firmly fixed on the MLS Cup. As always, folks, my name is Jonathan Reimer, and joining me, as previously mentioned, Christian Aparicio and Christopher Signs. Gentlemen, good evening and welcome. Thank you, Jonathan. Still, you know, happy about the Shield, not so happy about that last game, but I know the, the place felt different. The, there wasn't as much excitement or pressure as there is in usual games because I think we all knew what was at the end of the game. It was definitely a mixed emotion match, but happy to be back, happy to be talking to the Black and Gold family. You know, happy that LAFC hoisted the supporter shield over the weekend. And I'm looking forward to seeing how the first round of playoffs play out this upcoming weekend. So let's go ahead and dive into the game versus Nashville. And then we can start talking about all the glorious shield festivities. So starting 11 dropped for the team, which was pretty much a business as usual. Exactly what we thought it was going to be. Escobar still out, but found his way into the game. Blessing got in over Sifu. But we we knew a lot of rotation was going to happen in this game. Dolo said, you know, look, we're going for this game. We're going to play off starting 11. And I think for about the first 10 minutes of the game, we saw that. But in the ninth minute of this game, something happened that I feel completely sucked the life out of this game. And from that moment on, it really seemed like the crowd was less into it. And the players certainly look like they took a little bit of a step off as well, too. And to me, that is, of course, something predicted by us on our Twitter account. The appointment of none other than everyone's favorite pro referee, Mr. Ted Uncle, to officiate this match. And we tweeted it out before the match that may God have mercy on our souls. We have yet another Ted Uncle game. And sadly, that reared its ugly head before we even got into double digit minutes of this match. In the ninth minute, Chicho Arango gets a long ball played from a corner clearance to the mid pitch. He has absolutely wrestled for about 15 yards, which does not get called. He finally breaks free, gets himself a one-on-one for the keeper. Dax McCarty reaches across his entire front shoulders, tears him down to the pitch, and we get a whistle for what appeared to every single person in that stadium, both the Nashville fans I spoke to after, some of the neutrals I spoke to, and certainly everyone in the black and gold community was a very clear and obvious denial of a goal scoring opportunity and yet our dear friend mr ted uncle reaches into his pocket pulls himself out a yellow card after a moment of contemplation reflection and a mass confrontation of lafc players they decide to not go to var and relook at it and i'm sorry folks but at this point the entire game was meaningless it was completely and totally recreational from that point on. Not that this game mattered for us, but it mattered for Nashville. But clearly, pro referees have something up where they do not wish to call this game by letter of the law. Blame it on Ted Uncle. Blame it on Kevin Terry Jr., who was our VAR ref for this game. But I was furious. The entire stadium was furious. But since the game didn't matter, I felt like it just completely sucked all the energy out of the moment. So rather than going through the rest of this game and recap, I want to stop and talk about pro ref and your guys's reactions to this call. Christian, 
You are one of the most knowledgeable people about the beautiful game that I know. Talk me off the ledge here from ready to just torch and pitchfork my way to the pro referee offices claiming that this game was rigged, my friend. You know, I said in the Southwest end, so I had a really good view and I didn't understand what they saw. I've gone back to see it. I've seen stills of it and I can now see where they're grasping at straws to make an argument that the distance from the goal was where they think the defender could have, the second defender could have got there. The second defender wasn't too far, but it still doesn't make any sense. Like, at the speed and the strength that Chicho had, you could have easily, if if not fouled, gone through w- without being touched. So that is the so. Have we not seen red cards given for, for last less. man at for the less. middle of the field? Yeah, further for away from the goal than this foul took place. We have seen red cards given for last man in the center circle already this season. That has happened in this league. Yeah, no, so, I don't disagree with that. I th- and I think it's because that second defender was closer than in those examples you're giving, but it's still the grasping at straws, the speed and strength of Chicho not being able to, you know, beat that player. I think it, it was in retrospect, I'll go. I'll, I'll th- I also thought about this, right? It's Dax gets a red card. It's an easier time for the Galaxy. I want the Galaxy to really earn the right to play against us. I'd prefer after the game and after the result that Dax didn't get a red card, but if he gets a red card, we win the game. They still play against each other, and and they end up being in the same position, right? Am I wrong about that? I think I think Nashville still plays them. So yeah, I, I don't think there were really any playoff implications with the Galaxy winning. Right. I don't think it really mattered if right. Nashville won or lost; they were going to end up in the exact same position regardless. Right. This is all so hindsight. They- Me trying to justify why this is good for us. I agreed with you that no, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that it wasn't Doxo or Red Card. It shouldn't even been like a second thought or I don't understand what the linesman, I don't know if the linesman said anything to him. If from where I was, and Chicho fought to get through that tackle before he got like mauled down. He bodied, he turned, he sped, and he he was breaking through. And then it's still, you know, Dax McCarty, I get it. He used to be really fast and really good, but not that's not the case. He's more of a cerebral player now, but I don't understand. I don't get it. And I agree with you. I think that changed the mood of the stadium for sure. For sure, and then it's like, what are we here for? I guess, I guess we're just for the for the for the parade and the and the and the and the confetti afterwards. If you look at the last touch Chicho Arango has on the ball before McCarty hits him, he plays the ball away from the second defender who's behind him, right? And so he now has line of sight, and and, and both defenders are behind him, and the second defender. That, that should have, you know, uh, allegedly been able to catch up is behind him. And Chicho is already in the path because Chicho hit the ball to the left out towards the middle of the field, exactly as he was supposed to do in that situation. And he is clear one-on-one on goal at that point. There's no one who's beating him to the ball there. So this whole argument that there was a second defender there holds absolutely no water for me. And this whole argument that it's too far from the goal, by the time Chicho Orongo would have caught up with that ball and he would have beat the keeper to the ball, he would have been right outside the box. And I, I just, I get it. And I was going back and forth with our, our dear friend, Al Hopkins, you know, on- online about this. And Al, love you, brother. Nothing against you. I-, I disagree with you on this. I don't feel like 
the second defender or the distance from the goal should really have an impact on this. But Chris, I mean, give me your opinion on this brother, because I'm steaming. Well, you know, so I had invited my son's coach who's played the game his whole life and he has coached for 20 years and one of my other son's teammates, father, and he played his whole life too. And they both were in agreement that it should have been, it should have been called a penalty and that there should have been the red card. And they felt that the reason why that it didn't get, called the way that we felt it should have was because it was so early on in the game if that was like in the 30th minute for sure it would have been a red card but because it's like by making a call that is that influential for a game so early on you know that that they feel that LAFC just got the short end of the stick in that situation but um you know either way I think that there still was outsides of that call being what it is LAFC still fought I mean that match They didn't let anything like that sway their efforts to try and continue to press on and earn the three points in that match. And, uh, you know, we'll get into it as we talk about some of the stats uh, from that match. But I mean, the goalie for Nashville, Joe Willis, dude, that guy was standing on his head and he had an amazing match and he single-handedly allowed Nashville to walk away with a win. The penalty kick, the missed call, like there was just so many things that LAFC continued to fight for. So I'm not necessarily discouraged on the efforts. I'm more so, I don't have the same attitude like you guys do. Like, hey, there was no point. It's recreational at this point. Like, I still felt like LAFC came out and still continued to fight and that that call was not necessarily influential or indicative of how the rest of the match was going to look. I appreciate that that glorious recap. And we'll get into some of those other points you made here in just a second. But I want to diverge the conversation briefly for just a moment to the playoffs and my concerns about pro ref. Do you gentlemen feel we are going to get an honest officiating throughout the course of the postseason after seeing what we have seen so far this year, right? Knowing that the Galaxy tied the record for most penalties awarded to a team and every soft contact on the Galaxy seemed to be a penalty this year and seeing so many week in and week out egregious calls not go the direction of LAFC. Are we worried? that pro ref is going to attempt to take these playoff games and manipulate the outcome with their scandalous officiating. Are you asking, do we think that the matches are going to be swayed on purpose? Yes. No, come on, bro. Like, no, I think that, you know, what before VAR came around, you know, there were missed calls. There were calls that were made correct calls. And that was just part of the match. And sometimes the, chips fell for you and sometimes they didn't you know and it's the same thing here I think that if LAFC does their job and they put goals in the back of the net all of those missed calls or uh are all the cards that might have been miscalled those are all irrelevant you know what it if you look if you look at this match and you look at how many potential opportunities the LAFC had to put one in the back of the net and they didn't whether it be because of the performance of the goalkeeper or a lack of execution on their side you know, th- those missed calls have no relevance to the outcome of this match because of everything else that, that had gotten denied. You know, it, if LAFC would have won this game three to one because, you know, three of those 14 shots went in, would we even be sitting here having a conversation about this? No. I would the- probably still be hot yes. about about this that was a terrible card, call. no call. Yeah, um, but would we be sitting here spending, you know, 
uh, insinuating that matches are going to be thrown on purpose in future matches. Be, like we I, I don't think matches are being thrown. I think matches are being fixed. I think officiating is being fixed in an attempt to manipulate the outcome of matches. And I'm sorry, but the body of evidence over the course of this season and the fact that these calls are so egregiously going one direction for certain teams and another direction for another, it would be one thing if every team got poor calls and there were just poor calls being made left and right and the quality of officiating was terrible. But you look at certain teams like Austin and LAFC that seem to be getting the poor end of officiating week in and week out. And you look at other teams like the Galaxy that seem to be on the positive end of these officiating decisions week in and week out. And I'm sorry, but in my heart, I do not feel these games are being played in an honest and fair manner. And it feels to me like Pro Ref is doing their job to manipulate these games and their outcomes. Well, who's the governing body? Like, who is the entity that overlooks the professionalism of pro referee? You know, because they all have to come under review, right? Like, after every match, especially questionable calls. Especially like, well, I'm that's, but I'm sure there there has to be some sort of governing body that that overlooks the calls and reviews them. And if uh, if there is a referee like Ted Uncle that continues to have poor calls against a certain team, you know, I mean, look at the MLB, right? When the MLB has like umpires that make bad calls in the postseason stuff like that, they get removed and they can no longer make calls. Why is there not a governing body that does, or is if there is a governing body, if the governing body doesn't feel that he's made those bad calls or that they're egregious like that, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like there's got to be a, a way of checks and balances. Christian, talk me off the ledge, man. I, I do think there there's manufactured parity in this league, and there's a lot of ways that happens. I will say I feel like favorites or league leaders or table leaders um, or the kind of the home team don't always get the best calls. And one thing that stands out to me in this way, and I remember this very distinctly, I think it's when they moved to the one game playoff was in 2019. Like somehow we were the supporter shield winner and we had the shortest rest after playing the galaxy. And then the officiating against the Seattle Sounders was horrid. Like we barely touched them and they got every call. We would get mauled even in the box and we'd get nothing. We got two handballs in that game. So ever since that game, I've become more and more suspect of kind of making the game more entertaining than it needs to be when a team is dominating. So I'm not saying that the refs are fixing the game, but I think they're maybe tilting their scale or putting their thumb on the scale at times more for some teams than others. I I don't I don't think that doesn't happen. And I don't know if it's a human nature thing. When um, the goal of the league is to be entertaining and to to have parody and to have these storylines, so I've seen it happen. Let's like I I'll, I'll dispute you to say, Chris, that you haven't. Don't say that you haven't seen those things happen. Not specifically LAFC, and this just happens across the league, right? So it, the the I agree with you, Chris, on this. It's LAFC's job to just execute. You shouldn't have that many shots and not score, and we did that a lot in prior seasons, and we can't do that again in the playoffs because. You can give it a chance where a referee's bad call affects the game in this way. My final thought on this is I really feel for Nashville next week when they have to take on Carson. Because you know, you know this league wants an L.A. Derby in the playoffs. And I I just feel like the odds are going to be against Nashville trying to get through Carson 
as, as they proceed to the next match. But I'll, I'll, I'll back down off my high horse and let go of my sensationalist conspiracy theory ideas here. But uh, too many games, too many seasons, too many calls. And the implementation of VAR does not seem to correct calls that, uh, you know, look, as Chris mentioned, even to an, an independent coach sitting in the stands, it doesn't make sense to them. But all right. All right. Moving on. Moving on. Sorry, everyone. Uh, I'll let it go. Speaking of missed opportunities, we approach the end of the first half and LAFC get a little bit of redemption from Mr. Uncle in the fact that LAFC are awarded a penalty. Uh, I It was pretty clear penalty. I don't, I don't think there's much he could have done in that situation to not award it. So we got ourselves a penalty and Chicho Arango does his best Russian ballet performance and absolutely fluffs the penalty. And I don't know about you, but the audible groan that you could hear across the stadium was not a good look. It was not a good look for LAFC. It was certainly not a good look for Chicho. And seeing as how we had dominated the run of play throughout the course of that first half, I really felt LAFC should have gone in one up. Now, I know, look, Chicho has converted, you know, nearly all the penalties that he's taken for us. He's got a great percentile number, albeit in a small sample size. And he's someone that I still trust to take penalties going forward. But I have to wonder if the lack of gravity in the moment made it just so that those little last minute extra inch pushes that a team that's fighting to win would do in order to find the back of the net just wasn't present in this game. Systematically, we broke them down. Tactically, we broke them down. We had the much better numbers throughout the course of the first half. But it just felt like that last touch, that last little bit of effort wasn't there. And I feel that was all personified in that exact moment of the PK. So what were your gentlemen's thoughts on Arango's hop and miss PK? I thought it was terrible. I agree with you. The pressure wasn't there. It was more of like, let me try something versus let me make sure I put it securely in one side to the keeper. And I think he wanted a highlight reel and he got a low light reel because I've seen some of that slow-mo I will say he has hops and he has some flexibility to do what he did. But essentially a failed Panenka and where the ball ended up was pretty bad. The goalie went to one knee and still was able to reach back. Like the positioning of that that shot was terrible. The approach isn't necessarily that bad because I've seen him and Joseph Martinez do something like that and still strike the ball with some pace. So I just don't know what he was thinking when he actually struck the ball but I'm sure he'd take that back and do it differently obviously and I hope he does that differently if he does have another opportunity to a PK in the playoffs I feel like when Chicho Rongo takes penalties they always have a little bit of that cheeky trickery to them you know so the unexpected rush up you know, and then the freeze right before and then the swinging leg kick. And, you know, so I think that this is part of his style, I guess. And he has been fairly consistent with all of the PKs that he's taken for us so far. And I mean, I, I'm sure you're bound to miss one from time to time. It's just unfortunate that his miss came with such a dramatic lead up to it that it makes it even worse so i did talk to chicho after the game and i asked him about the penalty and he said that it was not his desire to hit it down the middle he was trying to put it closer to the side it just came off his foot wrong but that the little hop allows an extra moment for the keeper to show you which way they're going 
And then that uh, is an advantage he tries to use in order to put the ball the opposite side of where the keeper's going. And he saw the keeper going to his left, so he tried to put it to his left, keeper's right, and just didn't get it far enough over because he, he misstruck the ball as he was hit. But not a good look. We get into the second half, and gentlemen, I have to be honest, because of my involvement in post-match festivities, uh, I had obligations during the second half, and I didn't see a second of it. Maybe you gentlemen can tell me if there's anything that happened in the second half that was of note, but, uh, oh yeah, Nashville scored. Uh, I did, I did see that moment, you know, corner kick. They did exactly what LAFC looked to do on so many corner kicks, which is, you know, the header to the back post and wide open man Sanchez, just unable to cover it in time. And they found the back of the net really against run of play, but let's be honest, Nashville are a fantastic set piece team. And with that much firepower, I don't think any of us uh, anticipated them not finding the back of the net at some point in time. Although, Chris, I think you did have a 3-0 prediction for this game on last show. Not to call you out, but... I don't believe I had a 3-0. I think I said I had a 2-1. Uh, I think we're going to have to go back and check out the It record. may have been me, to be honest. Uh, I don't remember. St- stenographer, I would like <laughs> you to go back and... Uh, no, Chris, I'm 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 pretty sure you called 3-0 and Christian, no, you called I, 3-1. Ah, that no, sounds right. I, Yo, I'm going to have to, you know what, pause. I'm going to listen. I'm going to go back and listen to episode 137 right now to set the record straight. Give me All right, all right, Chris. While, while you're doing that and you're going to find out that <clears throat> I'm right, I would like uh, to just run through some of the stats for this game to prove how laughably dominant we were despite our inability to finish, right? So the game ends, obviously, 1-0. Nashville takes it down. XG for this game. LAFC's XG, 4.5. We should have scored five goals, according to XG in this game. We scored none. To their credit, Nashville was able to scrape out a 1.21 with their one goal. They met their expected goals of one. But LAFC, over four and a half expected goals for this game. So five goals expected for LAFC. None scored. Oof. Shots. LAFC outshot Nashville 30 to 12. 30 to 12. Of those 30 shots, LAFC had 14 on target to Nashville's two. Nashville had only two shots on target, but managed to get a goal. LAFC's 14 shots on target. By the way, 10 of those 14 were inside the box, and they managed zero goals. Now, look, that finishing has been a problem for this team. We have not lived up to our XG emphatically throughout the course of this season and that's something that this team has been criticized for that's something that matt doyle just seems to not leave alone when it comes to denny bowanga and his continued hatred of all things black and gold uh, personified in denny bowanga's inability to match his own xg Uh, xg is a frustrating stat and i know there are people out there that don't believe in it and all but uh, when you have four times what your opponent has probably should be winning this game. Possession, LAFC outpossessed dramatically, 66 to 34. Passing, we had phenomenal passing, 88% of our passing to 79 for them. Chances. Sorry, oh. I found it. I found it. I found all right, it. All right, let's that. Let's stenographer, please, for the court. All right. For those gentlemen who we love and adore here in the black and gold community and beseech Apple TV desperately, please make sure we have our broadcast team back for next season. That Sign is still up in the air. I know it's getting very emotional for some of the folks in the LAFC production team, 
And if we have to say goodbye to Max, I'm going to be very disappointed in that. But tangents aside, let's talk about some football. Boys, what do you think is going to happen in this game versus Nashville? 3-0. I think uh, Gareth Theo Bale. Well, hold on. You got to you gotta back that up with, with just a little bit more in the prediction. Why do you think we're going to storm them? That's it. Uh, just saying that was not me with the 3-0. Now, now, hold on just a second here. Find your prediction, sir, because I'm pretty sure you were – one of you was 3-0, one of you was 3-1. So if, if Aparicio was was Mr. 3 0, Mr. Sign, sir, I believe you were 3 1. All right. So so I'll find it and I'll get back to it. All right. All right. We don't need to replay our last episode for this whole episode. <laughs> we don't need to go through the whole thing. Shouts to Max Bredos, though. Max, we, we... Max Bredos, we'll, we'll, we're hoping we're rooting for you, making sure that you, uh, MLS, makes the right choice for sure. If Apple TV shows up with a broadcast team next year that does not involve Max Bredos, Mark Rogandino, and or Jordan Harvey, I will be extremely disappointed. Even if it happens to end up being Philly and I who 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 get the contract for next season, which would be fantastic. I would love that. I would still feel really, really bad for everyone that does not get to listen to Max Bredos because he is the best. Max, we love you. We hope you're back with us. At minute 53 and 31 seconds, I gave a prediction of 2-1 LAFC. All right. Okay. All right. What was my point on this? Yes. Okay. So you predicted one goal for that, Chris. Good job. Good job. All right. Three zero. I, I, I predicted two two. So I was way off. I was way off. But uh, I predicted Gareth would score. Like he didn't even yes. play. He he didn't even <laughs> didn't even put on a uniform until it came time to shake my hand. Other than that, he was wearing his uh his team security Paul shirt up there hanging out with Will Ferrell. So uh, was he a healthy scratch? That is my understanding. I mean, um, did anybody, nobody said why I did not get much of a chance to speak to Gareth after the game. He was kind of hanging out with his family and I didn't want to interrupt him and ask him why he didn't play, but he was healthy. He was match fit and able to play. So I think this is just a, another one of those quote unquote load management situations. Well, I have a couple comments on the Gareth Bale thing, right? Somebody asked me what they think the Gareth Bale, why they think Gareth Bale's not playing. I honestly think deep down Gareth Bale is trying to make sure that he can make it to the World Cup. If he gets hurt leading up to the World Cup, this is his only time more than likely. I don't think that he'll be representing Wales in four years when it's here in North America. So this is his only chance to actually represent Wales for the World Cup. I think it's his number one priority to be match fit for those matches. You know, and it's like, in his mind, is it worth it to take the risk of playing for a team that's playing well, right? LA is playing well without him really in the lineup and contributing. So it's like, you know, he's like, hey, look, I can kind of just sit back and make myself as ready as I can be by being as fit as I can be to be able to participate in the World Cup because that to him is what's most important right now. That's the most important three matches that he's got in his future. I think the minutes were vastly more important for Christian Teo than they were for Gareth Bale. Gareth Bale playing in a game that doesn't matter when he's trying to stay healthy for the World Cup doesn't make any sense, right? I, I do think Gareth Bale is going to play in the playoffs. I, I don't think he's just going to ride the pine throughout the course of our whole playoff run. I think we are going to see him and probably in some significant minutes throughout the course of the playoffs. But I think it was more important to get Christian Teo up to speed, to give Denny Buanga minutes and to give Mahala minutes than it was important for Bale to get any more minutes with this team. But that's my opinion on it. That's not backed up by anything the club has said. And I did not get a chance to speak much to Gareth aside from, you know, thanking him and congratulating him and wishing him luck. But uh, Christian? Yeah, no, I had, I had comments on the second half. I know that Carlos Vela came off because of some tightness 
according to Steve. And that was in the 40th, though. That was still in the first half. Right, right. right. Um, and my comment was going to be about Kirsten Teo coming in probably sooner than he, he was expected to. But I I like him a lot. And if, um, let's say, Cifuentes moves on, like I feel like he can become that offensive-minded midfielder. Because even though he was playing on the wing, he could act as a 10. He, was very, he, he had really good vision. He had really good passes. He can also be a winger, and he could be a 9. So he the versatility at his age because he's not high flying like he used to be even a few years ago for Betis was really good. I I liked him. I think he's still getting his legs in the MLS under him. I'm really happy that we got to see him play first team minutes for that long. Even though I'm hoping you know it sounds like Bella's stuff is not serious, but um that that was one good takeaway from the the second half. And I think I feel like maybe four or five of the shots were actual really good saves. The rest of them were pretty central he's a tall dude the keeper and we hit the post ones and west pk so i don't expect that to be the result in the in another performance with i think with a better attitude too like i feel like no one we were we didn't have a pedal to the metal in this game yeah completely agree i talked to vela post-match asked him about the injury he said he's fine it was just uh precautionary uh he took a little bit of a knock there was no point in playing through it in a game that didn't matter. And if this was a playoff game, he would have gone 90, his words. So no concerns, no concerns about Vela there. Back to the post-match statistics. LAFC created four official chances. Nashville had just one, just one official chance. Corners, we out-cornered them 10 to 2. Of course, they scored on one of those two corners. LAFC frustratingly ineffective from set pieces, something that has been a trend since the departure of Mamadou Fall. We really do not look very potent on corners. And I literally, since that ball went under the wall in the second or third match of the season, do not think LAFC have scored from a set play in open field since then throughout the course of this entire season. That to me is a big concern going into the playoffs for me is, is our inability to look very effective from set pieces. Offsides, LAFC had none on the day to Nashville's one. And yellow cards, LAFC also got zero yellows and Nashville ended up with three. Escobar did get removed for injury, and it did appear as though the injury was more significant than the broadcast may have led on. In fact, after the festivities, when I, I went to approach him about it, he was still in some noticeable pain post-game when, when I tried to talk to him about it. And he he brushed off questions about whether he could predict anything other than to say, you know, we'll we'll see how it pans out over the course of the next 10 days. I guess there is the advantage that LAFC have the bye, and we're not playing for, what is it, 10 or 11 days from the last match. So he's going to have time to reassess and get healthy. At this point in time, I'm going to put a giant cue questionable on him starting versus the winner of Nashville Carson. I think we're looking at a Hollingshead Palacios pairing and outside backs for that game. Escobar just so talented, so much energy and so much fight in him, but uh Unfortunately, he's been unable to stay off the trainer's table, and he looked like he was still in some pretty serious pain post-match there. So uh, I'm hoping that they uh, figure out what it is, get him healed up, and he's ready to go on the next match. But uh, at this point, I would put a big, big question over on that. I have a question on that, actually, since you talked to him. I I couldn't tell from watching it there at the stadium. Was it a knee, ankle? And then I was like, did he get another concussion? Uh, at one point, like they were checking his head. So I was just like concerned, obviously, but I, it was hard to tell what happened to him. I think the answer is both. I think he had a leg injury and he re-aggravated the concussion or was experiencing 
you know, as a person who's been through a, a lot of, you know, pretty serious head injuries myself, when you have post-concussive syndrome, you know, there's basically a sack around the outside of your brain. And when you get a concussion, you know, your brain is pushed into that sack to the point where that sack tears or gets, you know, some trauma to it. So it's basically like having a giant bruise on the sack between your skull and your brain. And any even slight movement sometimes of your head can agitate that like punching a bruise, right? And it's incredibly painful. And that pain causes, you know, blood to rush away from your head, which can make it difficult to think. You can have a lot of cognitive processing issues throughout the course of that time because there is just not the fluid going to the right part of your brain because of the swelling around the outside of it or the pain that's being felt around the outside of it. Uh, and and looking at his reaction to it, I, I think it's fairly obvious that he's suffering from post-concussive syndrome. As a person who's been through it many times myself, um, you know, I see a lot of those similar signs in him. And so, yes, I think he went down hard on his leg and took a knock to the leg there. But I also think it it rattled his dome piece a little. And I, I still think he's he's suffering that post-concussive syndrome. And how long that sack takes to heal, you know, can be different for each person. Sometimes it can take months for that to completely heal to the point where, you know, anytime you're knocked around it. And let's be honest, as a soccer player, you know, you're constantly heading balls, running, turning, twisting, falling, diving like that. That stuff, you know, that that, that moves your head around a lot. And I think it's going to be a real challenge for him to to get to health fitness. Well, the nice thing about post-concussive syndrome is, you know, he's not running into any kind of CTE injury issues. I mean, I don't think there's any kind of brain trauma issues around his particular injury uh, speculation on my part. So I don't think, you know, he's going to run the risk of, you know, doing long-term damage to himself, but it's painful and it can make it really difficult to think in the moment when you're suffering that kind of injury. So it's my impression. Now, obviously, my conversation with him was very, very brief. So I didn't really get a chance to deep dive with him too much on it. But he was hurting. And I would put him questionable for next round. But you know, that injury is one that you know, given two weeks, he should be able to go when we advance beyond, I think he will be he'll be good to go. There was one other stat from this game that 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 really kind of blew my mind. So Nashville's goalkeeper, Joe Willis, he got 14 saves in this shutout. That ties the all-time MLS record for most saves in a shutout. And I agree with your sentiments about that, Christian. You know, to me, really only three or four of those saves were were remarkable saves. A lot of it was just us having to put the ball right into his path. But still, you got to nod your cap anytime the keeper sets a record for saves against you. That's that's an impressive performance by him. But uh, before we dive into these post-game festivities, gentlemen, any final thoughts on the match itself? Nothing else. So with that, let's go ahead and dive into the Shield celebration. So I was very fortunate to get the nod for District 9 Ultras to be a part of the handshake line, which was a really, really amazing thing. Deeply honored and humbled that D9U selected me to go out and represent them there. So we got to shake in every player's hand as they walked by. And I made sure I had my mercies, my gracias, and my thank yous, and my dankas for Dolo all ready to go. Say thank you to uh, each player in, in the most appropriate language, I thought. That was really cool. You know, one thing you don't realize is, is how small soccer players are until you're actually, like, giving them a hug in the flesh. You're like, man, these are some tiny, tiny fit dudes. But that was that was a really amazing moment to to get to thank each one of those players personally and, and on behalf of D9U and the 3252 to see that shield come out in the hands of Casey and Sue and, you know, presented to the players and smoke bombs going off and everybody going crazy. I mean, guys, soak it in. These kind of moments are few and far between in the world of sports. 
to get to watch your team celebrate a trophy like this on the pitch from seconds. You know, I was just a, a few feet away from all this happening. I got to join in the Shalalas. I got to join in the fist bumps for the crowd. I mean, those kind of moments are moments I will never forget. It's a really, really powerful moment for me as a fan to get to participate in those things. And I know a, a lot of hard work in the 3252 and, uh, you know, we'll continue to do that work. But on behalf of all the fans, Dean on you, 3252, everyone who loves this team, you know, thank you for letting me have that opportunity to go down there and be on the pitch with those players and and take part in that moment was was really a special thing. Wandered around and had a quick chat with as many players as I could possibly pull aside to try and get some good content for you guys for the show and selfishly a few selfies for myself as well too, which uh, may have gone a little overboard on the selfies. If you've seen our posts, I put them all up there. But uh, look, you don't you don't get opportunities like that to be there with the player while they're celebrating a trophy. So uh, that's some pretty amazing stuff. You know, also post-match there as well too, and the video has gone around a lot on the social medias, but Max Rogo and Jordan Harvey gave their final sign-off before the national media coverage picks up this game from the rest of the way out. And before we dive into the rest of the stuff that happened that day, you know, on behalf of Chris Christian, myself, Wilton, and, and everyone involved in S2S, and I hope on behalf of everyone in the LAFC community, we just wanted to send out a heartfelt thanks to Max, to Rogo, and to Jordan Harvey for for everything they've done to bring these broadcasts to us. And, and hats off to those two, three individuals for what they've done over the course of, you know, five years in the case of Rogo and Max's case and Jordan obviously bled for the black and gold and has now done a fantastic job on the broadcasting side. And Apple, bring these guys back, please, please bring these guys back. Gentlemen, you guys got to take in this whole shield celebration from the stands. What were your reactions to seeing all this happen? You know, it was nice. It was a lot of fun. I remember standing in the North end uh, back in 2019 when, when LAFC had won the supporter shield. So it was definitely nice to be there both times so far to, to see the experiences, you know, it, uh, it, I mean, it, it is, it's, it, it's one of those things where you just look and you, you think back to the beginning of the season and how much work has gone into this. It's, it's a nice feeling to know that we have accomplished something and, you know, but the job's not done. Like we've been saying, this is, this is, these are the words that everybody's been saying since then is that job's not done, job's not done. And that we've got to focus now on the next three matches and, and, and get ourselves a cup. Yeah, I thought you put it well, Jonathan. Uh, this doesn't ha- happen often, so you have to celebrate. I was there uh, with my wife in 19, now my family. and uh, So that was really cool to experience. And I'm just proud of the team being able to rebuild soon after a season where we didn't make the playoffs uh, somehow. I think we, we should have, but we didn't get the results. And this year is the complete opposite. We were able to string so many results that even a stumble towards the last quarter of the season we're able to maintain and retain the shield. So I was happy. I thought they did a good job of incorporating 3252 because a lot needs to be said in terms of them being the heartbeat uh, and part of the culture and being able to encourage the rest of the Sands to contribute every home match and the banquets, the fortress that it is because of them. Um, so incorporating them throughout the shield celebration was awesome. And the fact that you got to partake firsthand yeah, it makes it even better to have you receive the fruits of your labor in terms of how you contribute to the 3252, number one, and to you know the LAFC community overall, not just as a co-host, but um, 
just a stand-up guy and i'm glad you got so many selfies and so many stories and you got so many questions answered for us to be able to share on this episode yeah a lot of people ask me why i was wearing a pride republic scarf while i was out there representing d9u and uh there's one very simple answer to that question uh that's what mo would have wanted and it's hard to go through a moment like that and not think about Mo and his memory. And I just wanted to give a shout out to Lucky's for that amazing Mo scarf they put together to help raise some monies for the Mo Fascio Memorial Futsal Court. I wanted to give a shout out to Pepsi. If you want to sponsor the pod, by all means, Pepsi, hit us up. But for doing $20 for every tweet, scarves up for good. I think by my count, we did a little over 50 something scarves up for good tweets um throughout the course of that day so a few grand from from us here at shoulder to shoulder well no a few grand from pepsi but from us here at shoulder to shoulder as well too for the mofacio memorial futsal court and thank you everybody who is using that hashtag scarves up for good to help raise money and hats off to the folks at pepsi for quadrupling the donation for that one particular match day Pretty, pretty cool stuff from Pepsi. So we're wrapping up on the field with the shield. You know, would have loved for that shield to have gone around the stadium for all the fans to get a little bit of a closer look. But remember, fans, we got this shield for a year. So we're going to have it at a lot of different events. There's going to be plenty of times in which folks can come out and check out the shield. That'll be a cool moment. A lot of the various different functionary members of the office got to come out and check out the shield, which was pretty cool as well, too. Yeah, Chris? I was just going to say, too, you know, you think about it, 2019, uh, we won the shield in 2019. And 2020, because of COVID, you know, that experience with the shield was definitely cut short, you know, and we didn't get a full season for all the fans to really experience it and go to the events and pass it around at the tailgates or the, uh, the fan events. So I'm really looking forward to the opportunity this year because, you know, we're going to be able to have the shield for, you know, the full year and be able to really partake in and, and appreciate it the way that we didn't get to the first time. Yeah. Pretty cool moment. Pretty cool moment. Uh, so as I was hanging out there on the field, I kind of just lingered around and eventually security cleaned everyone out of the stadium. And I was still standing there on the field with some of my 3252 brethren. And, uh, you know, eventually security just sort of started ushering us off the field. And I ended up getting ushered towards the Lexus field suite there. Was fortunate enough to get a wristband to join in some of the player after party. So uh, shout to my homie Latif Blessing. I got to have dinner with Latif and hang out with some of the rest of the players and coaches and their families and, you know, kind of get to see the personal side of everything after the match there with apparently they don't do this every game, but just for, uh, you know, the trophy presentation, they had the bar opened up there and food for everybody. So I got to eat the players food, which was very kind of them to share some of that with me. Thank you guys. Dude, that chicken in the Lexus club, bomb fried chicken. But I got to have dinner with Latif, check in on him, see how he was doing. Spoke to Jordan Harvey and a few of the other players for a little minute. Got to congratulate Dolo and a few of those guys. And, you know, just when I was uh, thinking it was time to wrap it up and head on home, a little birdie, um, you know, happened to let me know that uh, if I wanted to go hang out with him and a few other people, there was going to be uh, another little after after party that I ended up sneaking my way and invite to very last minute. Uh, got to go to a beautiful home up in the Hollywood Hills and hang out with some of the players, some of the owners, some of the front office staff some of my 3252 brethren and, you know, spend the night hanging out with Chavo and DJ Flicked and everybody kind of taking in this whole Supporters Shield moment. But very thankful to everyone who uh, let me join in the Reindeer Games there. So hats off to those folks who who let me join in. But had a really fun night hanging out with the guys from, uh, you know, DJ Flicked and Chavo for, you know, repping the city, which is a great anthem. The new music video just dropped today, which I got a little sneak peek on on DJ Flick's phone, which was 
which is pretty cool to sit there and watch. And got to spend a lot of time talking to Marco Garces and Ilya Sanchez about this season and what their plans are going into the postseason. And I have to say, of all the players that I've interviewed and spoken with, all the various people that I've worked with in the indoor soccer world, Ilya Sanchez and Marco Garces are two of the most brilliant people I have met in my life, regardless of the medium of sports or not. These are two incredibly high-functioning and intelligent individuals. To hear the two of them talk about their hopes and dreams for this team and the playoffs, folks, we're in really good hands. We have some brilliant people around this team, and I was absolutely floored with the eloquence and the intellect of Ilya Sanchez. We are so blessed to have him marshalling our midfield. What an absolute, absolute genius, but uh, a very late night and uh, perhaps a, a bit too much of a, the imbibing sort of things and uh, suffering a little bit from it today. Um, but I don't think any of you in the least bit feel any sympathy towards me whatsoever. Was a remarkable day, one of the most amazing days of my life. I will never forget. And I just want to reiterate my thanks to all the fans and all the people involved in this club who let me take part in all those fun things. And uh Gentlemen, next time, I swear you guys will get the invite and uh, you guys can come hang out with Shavo. But uh, just sort of fell in my lap last minute. My apologies for not bringing you guys along. But uh, some of the other cats were there from the pod fam, got to hang out with Dweez and Spice and, uh, you know, Sam and uh, a few of the guys from Heart of LAFC as well, too. It was a really, really cool moment and just goes to show you the things that this club does that separates it from so many other clubs out there. It was uh, it was a pretty touching moment one that I was very, very blessed and, and you know, frankly, undeserving of being a part of, but uh, very appreciative that I got to do it. But uh, any final thoughts on the Shield, gentlemen, and what we have accomplished so far this season before we take a bite out of the apple for the next portion of our season? Nothing on the Shield we want to cut. Onward and upward. So the path to the cup. Let's go ahead and lay it out, folks. The playoffs are on us. So starting on 10-15, a game that all of us should be watching very closely. We have Carson versus Nashville. And of course, the winner of that match goes on to play LAFC. That game will take Pank at the bank Thursday, 10-20, 7 p.m. kickoff, folks. So make sure you're ready Thursday. I know it's an awkward day to have a playoff game. It makes absolutely no sense to me why MLS is having a midweek playoff game. This whole conversation of, oh, well, we don't want to compete with NFL or college football. Yeah, so why put the game on a Thursday night then when you're competing with football? But uh, obviously, Dodgers in the postseason as well, too. Yeah, go blue. Um, so we're going to have uh, a lot of conflicting playoff schedules here. But be sure each and every one of you are ready to go Thursday the 20th. Uh, anything else on 10-15 there is going to be Red Bull New York facing FC Cincinnati. That'll be at 9 a.m. our time to determine who is going to play the other conference winner in Philadelphia. Moving on to Sunday the 16th, you've got Austin taking on RSL. That should be a fun match. Later that day, uh, you got Montreal taking on Orlando. So two games on Sunday. Two games on a Monday, and I feel super bad for these fans that have to go out and watch a playoff game on a Monday. Uh, but NYC FC will be taking on Miami. Let's go, Bryce. I'm rooting for him in that game. Sorry, Philly. And then I would say FC Dallas, Minnesota taking place later that night. Another fun game where we expect Dallas to come through, but uh, never know. Minnesota could could pull off the upset there. And then that'll be the last playoff game leading up before us on Thursday, the 20th. 
All right, gentlemen, we kind of talked about it last time, but I'm curious if your opinions have changed. Now that we face Nashville and seeing how we stack up against them, who do you want? Do you want Carson or do you want Nashville? Christian, why don't you go first? I want the Galaxy, of course, but I don't know if that's going to happen, to be honest with you. They got Dax McCarty, dude. He's he's going to play. So Ted Uncle's grand plan is going to work. I, I think that Nashville would be the easier opponent, especially if I had just seen them. And thinking about the amount of travel that they had, they traveled to Los Angeles to play us. Then they have to travel again next weekend to play the Galaxy. And then and the game's on Saturday. So then do they fly home Saturday night and then just to fly back again on Thursday? So they'll be making three trips out to Los Angeles within not even 14 days. So I think that Nashville would be the easier opponent due to all the travel and just the matches and the fact that we just saw them. But having a match against the Galaxy is always going to be the most entertaining of the options. So to me, it doesn't really matter to me. It doesn't matter who it is. We're, we're going to beat them to continue on. So Yeah, I mean, are Nashville going to be facing 12? You know, what side is the officiating going to be on for that game? I think everyone across the financial side of the league would love to see a Galaxy LAFC playoff game. Personally, I've said it before on the show. I reiterate it. I would love, 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 love to beat Carson and knock them out. Nothing would make me happier. Now, of course, if Dax McCarty goes in and, you know, puts up a brace against them and Nashville moves on through them and bring them fighting Walker Zimmerman's back in here, I got no problem sending them back in as well, too. But would love, love to face Carson. But uh, after that first playoff match, we will have another episode previewing our upcoming playoff match with an opponent correspondent, depending on who we end up facing. Looking forward to putting out some more content for you guys. Hopefully get a guest locked in for next week as well, too, so we can get you all geared up for this playoff match. But uh, gentlemen, any final thoughts on today's show before we go ahead and put a bow on it? Nope. Let's see who we play. It's going to be a lot of fun either way. I. Uh... Definitely, I'm going to be up Saturday watching this game, watching the 9 a.m. game, and then I'm going to be watching the noon. Might as well be. But uh, on behalf of myself, Jonathan, Chris, Christian, sound engineer, Wilton, we would like to thank you all for listening to episode 138 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. A little quick on the counter episode, just recapping this game and the festivities for y'all. We'll be back to normal content next week. Again, we would just like to share our thanks for Max Rogo, Jordan Harvey and the entire broadcast team. You served LAFC with class and pride. Thank you, gentlemen. We sincerely hope we get to hear your dulcet tones over the airwaves at some point in time in the future. And uh, But if that doesn't happen from all of us, thank you so much for what you've done. To all of our fans, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Take us home, Sticks. Together this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.